Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited that you've taken the time to listen to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. We want to give a special thank you to our financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to reach tens of thousands of people across the globe through our podcasts, social media outlets, online courses, curriculum, conference and events and tours because of your generous support. If you aren't a monthly partner, please consider partnering with us at Jew3Project.org by hitting the Donate tab. There's an option to give online or to mail in your gift. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Every gift you give helps equip. Remember, our online course is now available at learn.jew3project.org. Our new curriculum, Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to helping you know what you believe and why, is available on Amazon and at througheyesofcolor.com and at jew3project.org. We thank you for listening and your support and your prayers. We're able to do what we do because of people like you. Thank you so much, and we hope that this episode blesses you. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest that's no stranger to the Jew 3 Project, Dr. Dennis Edwards. Welcome, Dr. Edwards. Well, thank you, Lisa. It really is good to be with you again. Appreciate your work, your ministry, and just happy to join you today. It's good to to have you again on the podcast. You've been on, I believe this is your third time. You were mm-hmm. at our first Courageous Conversation. So uh, you're no stranger to, to mm-hmm. our audience. Uh, for those who may have missed you on the previous uh, episodes and on Courageous Converse, the first Courageous Conversation, just give the audience just a little bit of background about who mm-hmm. you are. Yeah, thank you. I, I am the Associate Professor of New Testament at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago. I have been here just a year, but I have taught New Testament for several years, uh, mostly as an adjunct, as I served as a pastor for for about 30 years in different contexts, New York, DC, Minneapolis. So my PhD is in New Testament, and I tend to focus on the general epistles and have a commentary out on 1 Peter. I'm a dad, a husband, a granddad, and uh, and just enjoy serving the church and trying to learn as much as I can about God through his word. That's me in a nutshell. And you have a new resource out uh, that I wanted to talk to you about. I know you have a picture of it. Can you hold it up for, for yeah. us? So I have this book out called What is the Bible and How Do We Understand It? And the idea is this book is part of a series of books, actually, that are uh, that are called the Jesus Way uh, um, series, trying to get at theological issues and biblical understanding in a relevant way for people. You can see it's not a fat book, and it's a book that's meant to be accessible for people in the church, in the pew. Um, so yeah, my contribution was actually one of the first two uh, on what is the Bible, and there's another on 
on the atonement, on the work of Jesus on the cross that came out early. But you'll see others coming in the series. And I would encourage people to check out the whole Jesus Way series. Awesome. So uh, let's dive into it. What is the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, obviously, that's a big question. And I don't answer it you know, as comprehensively as some might because I you know, was writing a small book. But I think it's helpful to think of the Bible as the word of God. Yes. And we say that a lot in Christian circles. But it's the word of God that comes to us through human beings. So there's an analogy, right? We see Jesus as fully human and fully divine, the God man. It, the written word is analogous in that it's God speaking, but God speaking through human beings. So there is a partnership, if you will, of the Holy Spirit and human beings to create what is, in essence, a library of books. Um, you could think of the Bible as an anthology or as a library because there's a collection of literature all put together, compiled over time. So uh, that's that's the basics of what it is. What it communicates is, of course, much more than that. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Paul Copen has this wonderful quote I, that I love that says, um, we shouldn't take the Bible literally. We should take it literarily, and which means that there are different genres in the Bible. And so there, if you're reading uh, the Psalm, you can't read everything literally uh, mm -hmm. because there's metaphor similes uh, <laughs> and you, you would, you would um, mismanage scripture handling everything uh, literally like apocalyptic literature and, mm -hmm. and things of that such. So um, it seems like that's kind of what you're articulating. It's almost as if this hypostatic union with scripture in a sense, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, dual nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into, to anybody calling me a heretic, but I, <laughs> I, that's, that's, that was my first thought when you, when you communicated that. Um, yeah. Well, I do appreciate that analogy. And, and even the, uh, that quote, when I was younger, a younger Christian, and I was probably maybe in my twenties, I guess I heard somebody talking about taking, not taking the Bible literally, but taking it seriously. And I admit I was offended. I was bothered by that because I had been taught and I was raised in a, in a world that said, you know, we were supposed to take everything literally. I have taught students who've argued with me that that's the way to see things. Um, yet what happens is what you just suggested is that when we say that, we're not really respecting the various genre that's collected in this library. I mean, when Isaiah is saying all the trees of the field will clap their hands and we sing those songs, you know, nobody really thinks trees have hands and 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 so many things like that. Or or even Joshua talking about the sun standing still. But we but we have been taught in some circles um, in, in Christianity that if we don't say it's it's literal, then we somehow say it's not true. And and I think for some people, literal almost means a command that everything that's in the scripture is somehow turned into a command for us when merely there are some things that are that are descriptive. They're not always prescriptive, you know. So so I think what happens when you see a library is you respect the genre. You respect that there's different kinds of writings that are compiled, uh, all communicating about God, all pointing to even Jesus in some way, in some way. But um, but but different. Yeah. So when we think about um, how do we understand it, because that's the 
a, a chunk of what you're trying to get us to see how to understand it. I like to think of it as having the humble hermeneutic um, mm -hmm. in, in respect because there is um, this aspect of we don't understand everything. Um, the scripture says we see through our glass dimly, but mm -hmm. I love the way Akimini Yuan says, but that doesn't mean we can't see it all. So some <laughs> some people sway to this go to this extreme of under you can't understand scripture because it's so complex and everything is up for grabs and nothing can be taken literally or there's everything is fluid in a sense and then there's others who go to the other extreme of what we were talking about just a few moments ago. Um, where's that balance in understanding scripture? Yes, well, there's a there's several levels, right? I mean, there's there's this there's the reality that the Bible is an ancient document that sometimes is lost on people. They think, oh, well, it's just I got it in English. I bought it in the store so I can read it like I can read any other novel and just assign some meaning to it. And uh, and on one level, that's true. I mean, we have translations and we can read them and hopefully understand them, but it doesn't respect uh the reality of it being an ancient document that was written in its own world at its time and actually even over years. So one of the issues for us is to respect the, the, the age of the document. It's to respect a, a book whose writings reflect a different time than ours. I mean, even something as simple as going to all the world and preach the good news What's all the world to somebody in the first century? Did they have any concept of how big this world is or or and how how much territory that is to cover? There are things that that we have to just respect in terms of the timing. But I would say that because the spirit is at work in the Bible, the Holy Spirit does want us to understand, but wants us to understand things about God. I mean, quite simply, um, Think about 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathe. It's profitable, right? The point of the scripture is to guide us in our faith, in our commitment to the Lord, in our understanding of who God is, what God expects of us. And if we let the Bible do that job, then we can, um, we, we, we can find meaning in that, even if there are some parts of an ancient document that are unclear to us. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I respect my distance from the text in terms of time, but I also respect my nearness to the text because the same Holy Spirit who helped to write this text is working in me. So there's meaning for me, even if I don't understand everything um, exactly. Mm -hmm. I know part of uh, what the book is trying to communicate is looking through the scripture through the lens of Jesus. Um, why is that important for, for us to do? Well, I think that, well, let's just let the scripture speak for itself. In the beginning of Hebrews, it's the, the writer says how God in former times spoke through the prophets, right? And, and uh, in these latter days spoke to us through his son. And then goes on to talk about how Jesus is this exact image. In fact, that word you used earlier, the hypostatic union, hypostasis, is in that beginning of Hebrews to say that Jesus is this exact image. He's the He's the shares this essence with with God so that Jesus becomes or well, not becomes. We see him as what he is, which is the very expression of God in human form. Right. So 
So if Jesus shows us what God is like, then we ought to um, uh, understand as much as we can about Jesus. But it's not just that he shows us what God is like. He says himself at the end of Luke that the scriptures were testifying of him. So there in that Emmaus Road incident where he's talking to these two disciples about about uh, who he is and they don't understand at first who they're talking to. He said it says uh, Luke tells us that he explained, starting with Moses and the prophets, all the things concerning him right in the in the scriptures. So Jesus own testimony or the testimony of the New Testament writers is that even the old Older Testament, the first Testament, the Hebrew Bible is pointing in some way to Jesus. And then that the scriptures of the New Testament are reflecting on the life of Jesus. So we we can't miss or we ought not miss Jesus as the center of the scriptures. Um, uh, one final thing, Paul says that the uh, the end, the telos of the scripture is Christ or of the Torah is Christ. That and Jesus says he's come to fulfill the uh, the Torah, the law. So by the scripture's own description, Jesus is the center of the Bible. Mm -hmm. That is extremely helpful, and I think that's helpful for a lot of people who are struggling. Um, I think in general, most Christians that I've talked to, when they're reading scripture, struggle to understand the Old Testament in light mm -hmm. of the New Testament. Um, do you touch on that? any in 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 your in your book not a lot but i do touch on it um richard hayes new testament scholar has a, a talks about reading backwards and i touch on this in my little book in that when we when we look back at the old testament through the lens of jesus we see in some ways how how we're being pushed toward jesus now as i say this i respect the reality that my my Jewish friends are not are not seeing that right. I mean, so there's a context, of course, that the words were written in that that is that holds true. There's an Old Testament context, like like any other book, it's written for its time. But according to the New Testament, those writings anticipate a fulfillment, and that fulfillment is in Jesus. One quick example would be um, when Abraham is told to sacrifice his 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 son, his son Isaac. And and in the sacrifice, Isaac carries his own wood, you know, and it, even 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 early uh, first century Jewish uh, first century um, common era Jewish uh, uh, scholars saw in that a mirror of crucifixion where the where the uh, condemned person carried their own um, cross. Mm -hmm. So you can even see how in that in that story, it prefigures Christ in some sense, in a figurative sense but actually in a very straight out sense, because Paul will pick up on that story and talk about the faith of Abraham, who thought God could even bring alive again from the dead, or, or rather the writer of Hebrews sees that. So there are um, foreshadowings in the Old Testament. There's there's pictures, there's images, there's, there's um, figurative language, all of that, and sometimes just straight out prophecy that's, that's pointing toward fulfillment, and we see that fulfillment in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That'll preach, uh, Isaac. <laughs> carrying his his own wood. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm sure that some preacher listening to that that's uh, ready to uh, share that in in the. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, thinking through that. Um, when you were writing this, what was the hardest part for you for you to write? Wow! Great, 
That's a good question. Um, there were a couple of places that I struggled with in the sense of trying to get this notion of hermeneutics, right, of, of Bible interpretation to, to put in a few words, a process that, oh my goodness, we, we have spent years trying to master. There's umpteen books on how we should interpret the Bible. And what I wanted to do was give people uh, <clears throat> a passion for doing that rather than a straight out formula. Now, I do give some principles in the book, but but what I mean, so it was hard for me to sort of distill uh, a process of interpretation. The second thing that was hard was to think about a grand story of what God is trying to say to us in such an, uh, an expansive work, right? To distill even that down to a story of of God's work in the world, uh, 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 his plans for humanity from creation to new creation, as scholar Rick, Richard Balcom says. So trying to trying to take big sections and distill it in a way that was helpful for people, that those were my challenges. Um, yeah, I would say that those were the hardest things for me to do. Yeah, taking making complex ideas uh, digestible for the average person digestible and also accurate you know yeah. I, mean, I don't, don't want to simplify <laughs> things too much um but but yeah you're right one of the things that uh this is this is actually a throwback question from from your uh your commentary on first peter mm-hmm. um and we've talked about it before on the podcast but for those who didn't hear i think in this day it's helpful as we're more people are getting more passionate about apologetics when you think of First Peter three fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and that whole uh, chapter, because in that chapter he's he's focusing more on behavior seems to be than than actually uh, defending the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, how should people see apologetics in that in the context of First Peter? Oh wow, that's an awesome question. I, I, I really like that. In fact, I, I was just thinking about this the other day because I was having a conversation with someone on a similar topic that, you know, the best apologetic for the Christian faith is healthy Christian community. I mean, that's that's maybe an overstatement in some ways, but uh, not too much of one, because the best testimony of what does it mean to follow Jesus is to see a bunch of people who are following Jesus. You know, <laughs> Now, I grew up in an era, though, when we thought defending the faith meant putting together um, only verbal arguments. And sometimes we had leaders doing that who were pretty arrogant themselves. I mean, they were kind of cocky representatives of the faith who just loved getting into verbal arguments with people. And I'm not sure it allowed people to see the faith. In fact, we thought that most of the issues people had with the Bible were intellectual, that they were questions of of, uh, accuracy or historicity and such. I'm not convinced that that that's where most people are. Some are, some are. So I think the best apologetic for the faith is, and, and it's and it's worked out in First Peter, is how the Christians are living. That people can't accuse them of being anything other than than uh, well, law-abiding good people who are following this Jesus, even though people will say bad things about them. Now it doesn't mean we don't speak. He says always be ready to give an answer. So we are ready to give an answer. That's the verse you were referring to, uh, three fifteen. I mean. So we are ready to give an answer, but our lifestyle, our way of life, in fact, as this series is called The Jesus Way, should testify to the world that God is alive and active by his spirit in his people. 
And uh, so the best apologetic is, is healthy Christian community. And by the way, I think that's one of our challenges right now in, in representing the faith to, um, to the world because Christians are pretty divided right now, at least in the States. And, um, and I think it's hard for people to see Jesus in our division. But that might be more of a pastoral comment than than an academic one. But but I'm seeing that happening. Yeah. I love how you articulated that it's hard for people to see Jesus in our division. I think that is a, a great articulation of what is happening because people struggle. You know, when we think about social media and the the there is a of overwhelming support or people starting to embrace apologetics and understand this necessity. But in our attempt to defend the faith, we kind of undermine the faith um, in our attacks on other believers online, in person. And so it, it what you said, I think, was beautifully stated. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make sometimes of of those divisions. Um, I see it in the, you know, the language that's used. And I don't mean to come off as self-righteous that, oh, all you poor people arguing with each other. I think all of us are struggling. How do we articulate what we see as the way of Jesus, the the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus? How do we see that playing out in our world? But you said earlier, if we could have this hermeneutic of, of humility, then I think you know, we could kind of give each other the benefit of the doubt that we're all trying to figure out how this faith plays out in our 21st century context. And instead of pulling apart, we could pull together. Um, but but I know it's easier said than done. I mean, I respect that. I know we have difference of opinions on things, but I'm, I, I tend to be, maybe it's just my age, I tend to think that truth wins out in the end. So I simply have to keep uh, affirming some things. And I, and I can tolerate an awful lot of difference and disagreement, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things as I'm thinking about uh, the t- the series of the book, The Jesus Way, I think there is a very sometimes we limit the words of Jesus and then sometimes hmm. we uh, well, limiting, I guess, could be cherry picking. Hmm. And when you think about the Jesus way, Jesus, what he said was so comprehensive. So, you know, sometimes we think about uh Matthew um in Matthew where he says if you have done it to the least of these you haven't done it to me mm. and then that becomes the sole way we we think mm. about Jesus and that mm. becomes the only lens in which we view scripture is just in in taking care of those on the margins ah. uh and but Jesus also has a way of holiness that he he talks about within scripture, how do we think through the way of Jesus in a more comprehensive way and not limiting our view of, 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 of Jesus's words? Yeah. Wow. Well, there's a lot there. I think, you know, the part of the uh, spirit of the, of the series is that the way of Jesus is in word and in deed, right? So we see the way Jesus operated in the gospels, not just, not just what he said, but how he lived. But it doesn't mean that we only look at the Gospels, right? I mean, the the letters and acts are there to help us understand and Revelation are there to help us understand a lot of the implications of the life of Jesus for Christian community. But if we read the New Testament with a lens of gaining information and not transformation, then we then we're messing up. Right. So even if we read the letters of Paul and we can work out a great theory of atonement, but we do not act 
lovingly to other people, then then we're not following the way of Jesus. So so my point is that we see Jesus in the scriptures, particularly the gospels, yes, but we also see what it means to live for Jesus in the rest of the Bible. So so for me, the Jesus way is not pulling one or two verses about Jesus, but it's trying to look at this bigger witness of, of how does Jesus shape our world, our community, and, and our personal lives. But having said that, I think the fear is not, I mean, my concern is that we, we, we sometimes spend so much time with Paul working out certain um, uh, theological details on some things that, are, that, that can be seen as theoretical, like atonement, like justification, all these big words. And we start working out like what is going on that it doesn't affect our behavior. So we have some people who are not um, learning the way of Jesus, but they're learning a lot of things about Jesus and they're learning some things about uh, what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, and so I see that maybe just, again, a function of my age. I've seen that happen in a lot of Christian circles. And uh, so, yeah, I don't want to cherry pick, but I don't want to forget that Jesus modeled something as well as told us something. That's extremely helpful. I love how you say the overemphasis sometimes on the Paul, on Paul, I was just having a conversation with a friend and she called me frustrated <laughs> Sunday when I asked her where her pastor preached. And he's a, a, a expository preacher to his core. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I just feel like sometimes the messages are just 20,000 feet in the air mm -hmm. and they never get to mm -hmm. how it's supposed to affect our life. It's like, we're, I'm learning, but I have no, tangible application yeah. and I was just like yeah I completely understand it and I think that's the danger in some of the messages that focus they are always flying in the air and never land the plane so nobody <laughs> understands like big concepts and yeah. justification and atonement and understanding these ideas but it never reaches down to how am I supposed to apply this? How does this encourage me to move on? Practical things. And so uh, she was frustrated about that. And I, I completely got it. I think that's uh, some of what you just were articulating yeah. in this moment. Yeah. Well, I'll be, to be fair to my preacher sisters and brothers, it's not always easy to take theological concepts that are important and help people to grasp it and at the same time, make it be uh, seen as significant and operative in life. You know, I mean, that's that's the challenge of any preacher. And the reality of it is we live in a complicated, messy world. So you want to help people. I mean, if you're worried about paying the rent next month, you don't necessarily want to hear theories about atonement and justification and all these fancy words. Right. You want to know, is God there and can I make it? You know, I mean, I get that. I've been a pastor for a long time. However, I don't think the Holy Spirit. Um, is content and blessed or happy with us uh, limiting ourselves. You know, the Lord is encouraging us to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love the Lord with our minds does mean that we should allow ourselves to be challenged to think about things in new and fresh ways. And sometimes the application of those things is not gonna come from the pulpit. It's gonna come from us in relationship with other sisters and brothers. In fact, uh, uh, Lisa, I want to share this, that part of the interpretive process that I advocate in the book is allowing biblical um, interpretation to be done in the context of Christian community. And that community expands, uh, spans time as well as ge geography. 
So I want to know what sisters and brothers have been thinking about this text in the past. I also want to know what sisters and brothers outside of the states think about these texts because our social location matters. And as I think about the Bible in those ways, applications of those texts become uh, clearer because I can see that other people are living in a way that they are applying these texts that might speak to me. So I, I, I said a lot there, but basically I'm trying to argue that, uh, that I agree with you, but I wanna push back a little bit on the person who says the pastor's being too esoteric. I want them to stretch a little bit too in the pews and say, wait a second, these are some lofty ideas. Maybe some of that application you have to uh, think about too. So we want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for people to be able to get them. But we also are asking people to rise up a bit and say, hmm, God has something. God, God wants me to think about this kind of deeply and turn it into some actions. Mm -hmm. That's that's extremely helpful because uh, you want the the both. And and I yeah, think yeah. the challenge is that we are pendulum people and we either go heavy on there. Are some people that never get to to wrestling with the, the meat of the text and their application, application all day. And no, nothing ever really touches wrestling with the text. It's just a script starting with the scripture and going to application. Then there are some people that wrestle with the, the meat of the text and never flush it out. And so finding that medium, I think for people is very, very tough. Um, Good point. Good point. It takes, I work, like like you're doing and I think experience because you're you're an older pastor you've been doing it for how many years about 30 30 so mm -hmm. you wrestled with you know finding the balance mm -hmm. but I think us younger people that are trying to to minister still are struggling sometimes to find our way yeah and but and uh so let me say God bless you. <laughs> because I appreciate my younger sisters and brothers um, who, are, who are finding their way. I also appreciate that you'll listen to some of us older folks too, because we it's not like we got it all, but we but that's part of the community. See, that's 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 a big theme in anything I write and talk about because this sense of community has to be um, functional for us as Christians. I need my older saints. I need the younger saints. I need the men and the women. I need people. I need a variety of us to help uh, shape our practices and our beliefs and our convictions because none of us has like this premium on the truth alone. I think that's borne out in scripture too, that there's, that, that our uh, interpretive posture should be that of sharing with, with others. So, I, I respect that it is hard. You're right. And maybe there is a pendulum. But I think, you know, as you're going along, God rewards the faithfulness and and God will help you. I, what I what what I will say by way of caution is that I do see a lot of young preachers trying to model themselves off of people on television that have big, uh, big followings and big audiences and so forth. And I say, oh, please don't do that. You know, just love the people you're with. And God will help you to communicate to the people that you're called to serve, because if, if they love you and know you, they'll forgive, you know, mistakes you might even make in the pulpit, but they'll know your heart. So to me, that that is advice that I would give to younger preachers. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. But <laughs> but thank you. That's helpful wisdom. We have a lot of pastors and preachers that listen. So I think that's helpful because in the day of social media, you see things that work for others um, on a national platform and everybody's trying to figure out 
how to how to retain membership, yep, how, to, yep. how to please the people who are leaving, um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, all of that, and you know, try to empower people. So yeah. I think that is that is helpful wisdom. When we think about, I love how you said community, and when we think about like even the focus on the atonement and theoretical concepts, even in the pulpit. And as you, and as I loved how you use the example of, if I'm thinking about paying rent next week or this, this upcoming week, I'm not really going to be, have the mind even to wrestle with the ideas. And I love what you said about community, because I think oftentimes we lose sight when we're, when we're comparing how black preachers preach versus how uh, majority culture preach, preachers preach. And I think, Sometimes focusing on theological concepts is a part of privilege. Um, if 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 my congregation is middle class, uh, financially stable, then the brain power or the not even the brain power because it's not not necessarily, but the capacity to even think about the ideas are there when you're struggling versus when you have. Um, when you have financial security, does that does that? Am I making sense? You're making good sense. And, and uh, um, do you think that plays a part in um, even our preaching and our our oh, what what we choose to focus on in scripture? Sure. I mean, our our station in life is always a factor in whatever we're doing. Um, I mean, just just think just think of the time involved in. If you're hustling, working two jobs, and then your church is asking you to serve on committees and come to Bible study and do this and that. I mean, just the way we use our time and our volunteer hours and the limited resources that we have, of course, uh, uh, financial um, uh, uh, and uh, financial uh, stability and the uh, status that we have in society, privilege, if you will, is a factor in everything. However, <laughs> I do want to make to say that our early forebears, our first century, and I'm going to talk about forebears in two senses of that word. First is the early Christians. There are some pretty lofty theological concepts that that the writers of scripture are laying down on people, many of whom who are Gentile, not Christian, I'm sorry, not Jewish, who are learning about things uh, of God and and lofty concepts, and they were not necessarily uh, privileged people. We're talking about early Christians who are on the margins of society, who uh, who worked the regular old menial jobs. Some were slaves. Some did agriculture. Some, you know, did service work. So we're not talking about the elite of society to a large degree. Our early forebears, and then I think about my African American forebears, people who who are coming out of slavery, who took it as a a privilege. To be able to read and write, and to and to learn the things of God, and to be able to read them for themselves. So, in that spirit, I feel like I owe it to my forebears to do the best I can to steward the education that I've been blessed to have. But yes, you are right. I mean, the, the things we get to choose to think about and spend time on are a function of our place in society. But I would like to think that God will reward our efforts to learn more about Him regardless of our place in society. Are you, you following what I'm saying? 
Yeah. I think you just took away the excuses of those who say, I don't, I don't have the mental space to think about theology and apologetics. Um, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I yeah. these are the things that I hear uh, when it, yeah. when it's, as it relates to like going deeper and people not feeling they have the bandwidth or the freedom to even teach on on lofty concepts. And, and um, so I understand, like we talked about the both and yeah. making sure you have a healthy diet of both because we yeah. do tend to be extremists in, in our in our approaches sometimes as human beings. Yeah, amen, well said. <laughs> um, you have a new book coming out. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's a book that should be available for pre-order on March 10th, and then uh, it should be released in September. I don't know the exact date, but um, it's a book called Might from the Margins. The subtitle is The Gospel's Power to Turn the Tables on Injustice. What I try to do in the book is uh, is not center white people. And I do this on purpose because I've even seen in uh, in books written by people of color a tendency to address white people to almost to the way of saying, look, you should be able to understand this. You should be able to get this and hopefully change your thinking on some things. And, and I respect that for sure. But I also wanted to write for us, um, you know, just so real quickly, you know, if you remember the scene in, uh, in Black Panther where, uh, where, um, where T'Challa is incapacitating his, his mother, the queen and his sister come and they're with Agent Ross, a white guy, and they come to, to the Jabari tribe to get some help. And the white guy starts to explain the situation and the Jabari tribe start to, uh, in essence, bark and drown him out. And uh, it was such a comical scene, but also an empowering scene for me. I wanted to stand up in the movie and start cheering because so many times I have felt white people um, feeling free to speak for us and to even, as they would put it, empower us. No, we already have power. We have power that comes from the gospel. We have power by virtue of our, of our lived experience that I want us to not worry about permission from white people to, to start to you know, make Christianity Jesus-like again. I wanna see us be setting the tone for what Christianity should be like in our, in our world. And I actually think we've already been doing that. But what I do in the book is make a biblical case. Uh, there's some exegetical essays, yes, but I also weave in my pastoral experience to make a case for how people who have been marginalized that our society by and large has pushed aside women, people of color, immigrants, um, people who are not um, physically able in some areas who are physically challenged, how we get pushed aside. But we have uh, a way of being and a way of practicing the faith that is Jesus-like and I think needs to be elevated. So that's the essence of what the book is about. That's awesome. And I think that that also, you know, lends to like having a level of confidence within yourself, even if you feel on the margins that you still have uh, the truth. Um, and you can speak that freely without permission. So I love uh, I, I love I love that. Um, anything else you would like to share about um, the book? Uh, what is the Bible or your new book coming out? Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I, as far as the what is the Bible book, I, I really think it'd be helpful for small groups. You know, I, I do think individuals would benefit. 
But there are questions at the end of each chapter for discussion. And I do have a, 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 a few notes. I mean, there's a end notes for each chapter that can point you to other resources if you, if you want. Um, my encouragement is for people to get a partner or two or a few and work through the book together because I think it'll prompt some questions. Uh, you know, a small book like this is not gonna answer every question, but hopefully we'll touch on things so that you will have fruitful discussion. So I would encourage group study, I guess is what I'm saying. As far as the Might from the Margins book, I'm hoping that, uh, that people will see in there a real um, rallying cry and also uh, some wind in our sails to take two metaphors and say how we are going to, as people of color, as people who've been pushed to the side, how, how we can be emboldened to live this faith in a way that we have been trying to live, but people might not have been noticing and not waiting for white people to put us in leadership positions or give us a chance, but for us to take opportunities and to work together um, to, uh, to demonstrate what, what the way of Jesus is like. So thank you. That's, that's the gist of what I want to get at in, in both of those works. I love, I love that. Um, we, we're starting the black church tour to go and mm -hmm. along with our curriculum. And the pastor said to me the other day, uh, he, he said, I'm thankful that you're doing this because oftentimes we don't have, uh, resources created apologetic resources created for us, but not only that, they don't actually come to our churches to yeah. make sure we get equipped. We're like the last people to 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 be thought about. Um, and I thought that was so encouraging. And I think, you know, I, I, t I was telling a, a friend this, um, I was like, I decided a long time ago that what the organization was going to be, we were going to be unapologetic about equipping our people, whether majority culture got it or not. And also making sure we're re creating resources for our people and that I don't get caught up in this space where I'm just talking to the majority culture about our people and not actually equipping our people. So I love that. That you that that's the posture of your book because I think that's so needed for for people to hear. Amen. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that about you three project too. And uh, you know, I mean, the Lord gave me opportunity to do the PhD. I didn't get the. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't get to go to Europe and knock it out in a few years. I mean, I'm one of those people that was hustling and working real hard and uh, raising raising my four kids and. Uh, but by the grace of God, when I, I became the first African-American graduate in biblical studies, you know, with a Ph.D. from Catholic University in D.C., and I didn't think about a full time job. I just wanted to keep on serving the local church. But it hit me over time that being a professor might be a good place to be uh, to 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 um, to impact, you know, the Lord's work in the world. Um, but what you just said is I don't I don't want to spend this energy and resource that the God has given me and not see it impact my people. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, there's a, I'm unapologetic about that. So thank you. Yes, and I thank you so much uh, because uh, since I met you, I think we met in Minnesota, you've always been a supporter and I could always call you if I had to, yeah, to you know, ask a question. So I appreciate, appreciate yeah. that your consistency. You. Yeah, um, how can people get in contact with you on social media? Ah, thanks. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all of the all of those have the same handle, Rev Dr. Dre, 
R-E-V-D-R-D-R-E. And um, so, yeah, Facebook, you go Facebook, Facebook.com slash Rev Dr. Dre. So you can find me on all those media. I, I, I don't uh, tweet as much as I do Facebook, but I'm trying to tweet more. <laughs> but yeah, you can find me there. And uh, I, I, um, I can, and I'm always responsive. Like, so if people ask questions or something, they can, that I, I respond. That's social media. You can also find me at North Park um, uh, uh, Seminary. So northpark.edu. And you'll find me there. And, uh, and if you email me, I'm happy to respond as best I can. Thanks. Awesome. And how can people get your book? Ah, well, you can always go right to the publisher. The, the two I mentioned, The Jesus Way and then also Mike from the Margins, they're both being published by Herald Press. And Herald Press, um, you can go you know, straight to the publisher or you can go to Amazon. Amazon um, uh, will have both of those available. And my first Peter commentary is also still available on uh, through Amazon. So yeah, you can find it pretty much anywhere. Just search for me, Dennis R. Edwards. And I like to keep my middle initial in there because Dennis Edwards was a popular name, even one of the temptations. So I keep my middle initial in there so I'm easier to find. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Edwards. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the G3 Project Podcast. Remember, you can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color at g3project.org. Take our online course, get merch there. You can also donate. Every gift helps equip. We cannot do this, what we're doing and the other projects we have um, coming up uh, without generous support from people like you. So consider donating to g3project.org. Hit the donate tab. As I mentioned, we will be going on a black church tour. I will be in next week. I'll be in Little Rock, the week after that, I'll be in Dallas, I'll be in Kentucky, I'll be in Chicago, I'll be in Richmond, Orlando, and Jacksonville. I feel like I'm forgetting something, uh, but I believe it's seven or eight cities. Um, it'll be the, the um, people have been saying, what is the tour? Well, it's just me. And you know, I'm passionate about conversations. If you listen to G3 any amount of time. So the pastors actually, I will switch roles. The pastor will be interviewing me about G3 and our, our, um, our curriculum in front of his Bible study audience. And then uh, we'll have Q and A at the end about things that are in the curriculum and topics. Um, so join us out there, go to through eyes of color, Dot com and hit the tour tab and you'll be able to see all of that information there. Remember at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.g3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses 
based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to ju3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.